from Rixie, this is Frameform, a show about movies, moving, and everything in between. I'm Hannah Weber. I'm Jen Ray. And I'm Claire Schweitzer. Okay, so today we're discussing gender identity and expression through the lens of dance films or screen dance. We've highlighted just a few, but there's much great work being done exploring this intrinsic part of our beings and the ways in which we perceive and interact with the world. But first, before we get into all that, Hannah, Claire, what have you been watching these days? It's been a weird week for me. I've been doing a lot, but I did manage to fit something in. I don't know if you have heard of Seth Rogen's new movie, American An American Pickle. I feel really bad right now because we are from the same home city and I don't know about this. So please <laughs> do tell American Pickle. Yeah, American An American Pickle. It's starring Seth Rogen actually times two, which is similar to uh, an adaptation. Um, by Spike Jones with uh, Nicolas Cage times two. Oh, got it. Totally different kind of movie. Uh, Claire, you heard about it. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet, no. It's, uh, I wouldn't say it's great. I wouldn't say it's bad. It's kind of like in the middle. Uh, if you follow me on Letterboxd, I give it, I gave it, I think, a three. Um, I watch it so you don't have to kind of thing. <laughs> It's about a guy from the early, like, I think, like, early 20s or 1900s, something like that. Maybe the 30s. I'm jumping through time here, but it literally does jump through time. He basically uh, came to the U.S. and worked in a pickle factory and then fell into a pickle uh, brine and then stayed brine for centuries and then was discovered and he ends up like staying with his only relative who is like the same age of, as him because he's been pickled in brine so he doesn't age which is like totally not something that could happen when i mean seth rogan like the seth rogan types too like they literally put him in the same role well two different roles but like they're playing the same man of the same age anyway I, I i thought it was like the most like vulnerable and emotional state i have ever seen seth rogan so if you want to see that also if you want to see his like really cool apartment that he has in brooklyn i would watch it yeah i just thought it was a little too long but it's on hbo max if you have it go ahead and watch it you watched it, so we don't have to. <laughs> exactly. I did the dirty work for you. What about you, Claire? Um, Anything else another... we should avoid? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess another film that I watched, so you don't have to, is... Um, well, actually, you can watch it if you want to, um, if you um, are just intrigued by it, is Guns Akimbo. It's um, also on Amazon Prime, which I guess I'm, you know, a you one. should be sponsored by Amazon Prime. I'm serious. Like, get Claire. We should be sponsored by Amazon Prime. <laughs> Every week, us, Claire's coming through with Amazon Prime picks, and I still can't bring myself to even browse. Oh. Right, right. So, what did what did you watch this week on Amazon Prime? Well, I watched the film uh, Guns Akimbo, and it's a um, profoundly strange film. I think I. Um, 
bring the profoundly strange films to the show every week. But this one is a profoundly strange film with Daniel Radcliffe. And Daniel Radcliffe plays, um, well, first of all, it's a strange setup because it's an Australian made film. Um, Dan Radcliffe plays American. There are some American characters, some Australian characters. I'm not quite sure what kind of place this is supposed to be, but it is the near future. And um, what accent do they have? Daniel Radcliffe's American, but his uh, girlfriend is Australian and um, it it ranges between. (laughs) But basically, Daniel Radcliffe um, makes a bunch of people angry and he wakes up with guns stapled to his hands and he goes through the rest of the movie with guns stapled to his hands. So um, gun hands. (laughs) (laughs) This definitely sounds like a cult film. This definitely sounds like it has some deep poetry to the guns on his hands. I bet there's layers to this. (laughs) Harry Potter and the Hands of Ammo. (laughs) How recent was this film? This was made last year, I think. Wow. Or released last year. Guns of Rambo? Like Um, Guns of Rambo? Rambo. Rambo. (laughs) The spinoff. But that's the thing about those, you know, British teen stars that, you know, got their you know, start in sort of these big blockbuster movie franchises that I guess they were able to bank enough that they can now take on really interesting, true. weird projects. That's a good point. Good for them. And they didn't, you know, crumble into, I mean, countless child stars just don't make it out. So the fact that they can mature, not just as artists, but as people is pretty fantastic and i'm glad that they are thriving and doing taking creative risks and not holding too much onto the past just doing reboots or reruns or whatever it's good that there's still creativity speaking of creativity today we are talking about gender identity and expression and those dynamics as they are creatively expressed through dance and cinema specifically we're going to highlight a few films that show different ways gender is shown through screen dance. But of course, we've got plenty of honorable mentions and recommendations along the way and lots of branches and tangents you can follow as well. Of course, we're going to link these main films in the show notes. So even if you want to pause this episode, go watch them, come back and be part of the conversation, talking out loud to yourself in the car or while you're folding laundry or whatever you do while you're listening to your podcast. Or you can send us an email. But anywho, feel free to check out the show notes before you listen. But yeah, today we're going to talk about masculine and feminine, male and female, gender binary and fluidity, and how this exists in dance and how that transforms when it enters the screen sphere. We want to be respectful and inclusive of everyone. We've only picked three main films to focus on. So of course, anytime we highlight different films for an episode or a topic, it's never an exhaustive list. It's never, we, we don't want to tokenize or make one stand in for, for a group or anything. It's just a way for us to start discussing these topics and have an access point. So if you're listening and you have other films or recommendations, feel free to email us. We'll give all of our info at the end of the episode. But today we have picked three films we want to talk about. And our first one is from the Scottish Ballet. And it's called Frontiers. And I believe this was a made-for-internet film, correct? I think so. I think so. Um, it looks like a promo. Yeah, it's it's definitely... I would 
I wouldn't say it's like a, it's not like their other dance films. They the Scottish Ballet, you know, I have to give them a lot of credit for doing such great work. I've seen a lot of their films in festivals. I've screened them. Shout out to Curing Albrecht, Cinderella Games, Jess and Morg's films. You know, they have so many great films that are actually available online for you to check out now. But we chose Frontiers because it specifically explores shifting gender roles in ballet. So what did you two think of this film? Well, I um, am based in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, Miles Thatcher is a dancer with San Francisco Ballet. So and he has a very deep interest as far as like exploring gender within balletic constructs. And I really love the way the film is shot. I think it's a very cleanly shot, cleanly edited, very meticulously planned. Like those, like the match cuts between the different dancers are just, you know, very, very well done. But essentially the film cuts between pairs of sometimes men and women, sometimes women and women, sometimes men and men doing effectively the same choreography, representing a sense of it's not necessarily like who's performing the material. It is sort of like an embodiment of the material, depending on who you are. Yeah. And with many dance forms, ballet has a history of this gender binary existing, not just with the kind of movement we see, but even the costume, even the characters or the kind of energy that you are encouraged or permitted to have. So it's interesting to see this film as an example of a really great balance of ballet not being too precious or trying too hard to be edgy. It's very clearly contemporary ballet. They're not wearing tutus. They're they're under a, an overpass out on the street wearing edgier kind of streetwear and asymmetrical clothes. And it definitely feels very much of the times. But at the same time, you you can recognize this ballet movement. And it's so satisfying to see it, men and women not being confined to this uh, this binary with their partnering, but to see women and women lifting each other or men and men dancing together gracefully. And it's really such a simple concept, but technically so well executed with those match cuts. And of course, the dancing that I think it's a great example of very simply exploring gender through dance. It's the clearest example because just looking at the match cuts alone, there's this really nice dynamic edit smash cut that I personally love to incorporate in my own work that makes it so captivating to the eye and makes it just contemporary in general. Yeah, so the match cuts really create a seamless illusion of the different dancers switching between roles in the dance. But something I did notice when I was watching this film is that we don't actually see the women performing any of the lifts. Like, we'll see a woman, like, two, you know, the a pair oh, of... Oh, I didn't track that. Yeah, so we'll see, like, a, you know, two women actually, like, going to be, going to prepare a lift, but then it'll immediately cut to either one of the men lifting a woman or one of the men lifting a man. That actually raised some questions for me as far as the film potentially creating the idea of gender neutrality, but not actually, you know, completely fulfilling that idea. Which is so strange because the fact that the males uh, were the only ones doing the lift. I mean, this goes back to just like men being strong, men like being able to carry and hold weight. I mean, you do see a little bit of that later with the female dancers, but 
that's where you play around with choreography. It's like, how can we, again, bring it back to that neutral state of movement? Because that could have been totally changed, you know? It's just, that's a good point that you bring up there. Yeah, that completely (laughs) flips things in a way. Um, Because we do appreciate when films authentically, you know, don't just shout out a cause or attempt to do something, but they really live it or express it. So thank you for watching it so closely. Like I honestly got so lost with the match cuts. And I'll admit, when you're watching something and you surrender to it, you just kind of go along. You decide that you like it and you want to enjoy it and you're watching it. And I totally didn't even think to look for that detail, but it does completely change everything. And I think it's important for us to talk about both perception and reality. There are some things that are reality and some things that are perception. Even you can perceive someone's movement or their expression as masculine or feminine. I I think gender uh, expression is in in the eye of the beholder. You know, you might see something as feminine, whereas someone else will see it as masculine, or your definition doesn't fit what someone else's does. So I think it's really great to explore different movement dynamics, but at the same time, there are certain facts like in my in my dance classes I do find it pretty fascinating when I tell children that men's center of gravity is different than that in a female body which is part of why they can jump higher I remember before I learned that I thought men were superheroes like wow why are they so much better at jumping than females like we must be doing something wrong come on women let's get this and then you discover that there are certain things that do actually affect our ability to execute certain movements or have certain dynamics in choreography, but it's important to explore and be informed and be creative where we can so that we're not just mindlessly following these traditions. Yeah, and with this, I feel like the choreography is more that kind of expression with the body, like as in just the gender as a body, how the gender moves rather than how the gender acts. You know, we don't really see an expression of male dance. It's more just the action of it. It's not like I am holding this kind of attitude. I feel like the dancers are dancing for the sake of dancing. It's not just I'm a woman and I am floating in space and I'm strong and I'm elegant where men it's like I'm a dominant role you know it for this it's just kind of like male female bodies and that's it there's nothing really added to it it's almost more gender neutral in that sense I guess because they're just two people that are equal well yeah I mean it's certainly a a well-intentioned look at the potential of the body and specifically uh, the potential of the classically trained body to sort of subvert those classically trained binarial gender roles. But at the same time, when it comes to ballet and when it comes to formalism in general, I think that it's inevitable that there's going to be some things that that slip through, that something's going to be showing that sort of undermines that message. And I don't want to hold this against Miles at all. I think that what he's doing as a choreographer is fantastic. But he had another piece that was choreographed as a part of an SF Ballet showcase that also explored notions of gender and sort of like how people could sort of uh, perceive each other without having to 
it's sort of like a way of imagining like a gender neutral or like a non-binary space in a balletic setting. And at the end, everybody, they're starting out with pink outfits and blue outfits. And at the end, everyone's wearing a green outfit. But at the same time, the women were wearing point shoes the whole time. That's a point. Question for you both. Do you think that ballet could ever reach a point of neutrality or just dance in general? I think that it can. I think that there are, I mean, there's certainly people who are making waves as far as like, as far as reframing traditional notions of gender dance and dance gender gender performance. For instance, Sean Dorsey is a San Francisco-based choreographer who I think was the first trans choreographer to appear on the cover of Dance Magazine. And he's someone who not only has carved his way through in creating his own work, but he also has created platforms to elevate other trans or gender nonconforming dancers as well. So, but I mean, as it stands right now, if anybody's thinking like, okay, what is what is dance? A lot of people think, well, okay, they're either going to jump straight to ballet, which is a form that's very much built on the rigidity of gender roles and one role being utilitarian, one role really being aesthetic, or maybe they'll jump to ballroom, which again, for the most part is, you know, very heavily dependent on gender roles. It's hard to say. And I think that there is certainly more acceptance of different uh, expressions of gender identity and specifically those that fall in between the binary, not necessarily falling on either end. But to say that's going to be eliminated, I, I'm not so sure. I think this relates to every possible thing you can look at. There will always be people that are a progressive example. There will always be people that are a regressive example. There will always be people that are on trend and there will always be traditionalists. I think that certain things will just come in and out of fashion or be uh, accepted or not or in the mainstream or not. But I think there, there will always exist many examples, and particularly when we're talking about tradition and tradition in something that dance is a form of, it's, it's not oral history, but it's a, it's a passed down history that, especially with a form such as ballet, there are so many traditions and techniques and it's so ingrained in what it is. It's great that there are so many examples of contemporary ballet companies or looking beyond ballet. Dance is very uh, dynamic. There's so many different kinds of companies out there and especially with the internet and especially with social media, we're more exposed to variety than ever. But I do think there will always be those people holding on and there'll always be those people that are really extreme and on the edge. And I think that's part of the beauty is that we can always find these different examples. I wanted to share a really great quote that actually had me I laughed out loud because it was painfully true. This was from Katie Pyle, who her company is called Ballets. And I saw this like really quick featurette on YouTube on a channel called NBC Left Field. And she said, why am I always being asked to learn these roles of dying virgins and women who need to be saved? Like, it's so true because ballet, the stories, the traditions, the movement, the, the miming, it's all built around these really stark stories where things are so extreme and part of that is the gender role and the female characters it's it's almost like the madonna horror 
complex. You have these confined roles that women can only be the evil, sorceress, matriarch, toxic matriarch figure, or they can be the cold, distant queen, or they can be the princess or the the waif cottage girl or a fairy. It's so restricted to these probably 15 characters that I would actually be interested in seeing what the stats are on that. But what I'm trying to say is there are these limits that make ballet what it is traditionally, but the good thing is that people are able to subvert that, explore it, and create so many other varieties of it. And I think conversely, like on on the male side of things, I know a lot of male dancers are like, why am I always confined to lifting people? Like I was part of a company for like, I I was talking with a friend of mine who's a male dancer who was in a company with someone for like three years and just like, you know, all they asked me to do was lift the women. And like, I felt like I couldn't actually, you know, give give the gift I have and actually like, you know, provide anything apart from that. Don't get me wrong. I want to uplift women, but not literally all the time (laughs) at the expense of doing any of my own choreography. What I love about just film in general and dance film is that we're able to navigate a little bit more outside the gender roles and just kind of dance for the sake of dancing or dance film for the sake of art and interest. But looking at our next film, Us which is actually directed and choreographed by Jordan James Bridge, featuring dancers Lisa Rowley and Jemima Brown, who is actually a real-life couple. Uh, Two women dancers, uh, I would say very neutral choreography, which is, again, like we're talking about how do we break those barriers of gender roles. Yet we get to... A pretty interesting kind of setup. They're in a space. They're dancing together. They're wearing skin-tight uniforms. I wouldn't say that the female body is being sexualized at all. I mean, we're not seeing nudity. That's for another episode. But then there's a bum at the end. We see the two female dancers in a pose close to each other, and they're nude. Which this always just gets to my head and questioning why was that necessary? I don't know. But then that's like playing again with like the gender role of the female body. Now, when watching this film, I would say the dancing is pretty neutral for the sake of dancing. But then you think about it and you're like, well, what if this was danced by a different body? What if this was danced by men? Because we're going to stick to the binary roles in this conversation for right now. But how would the dance be different if it was danced by a different body? For instance, the male body. I feel like a theme with a lot of these films is the partnering, the intimacy, the idea of touch. And it would just maybe be different seeing particularly when the one that has the pink hair is cradling her neck over the other's arm. Like those moments of intimacy that now that I know they're a real couple, it's like, oh, this must have been like so emotionally charged for them. But it's moments like that where I think, okay, if I saw two men intimate like that, it might be different than seeing two women like that. But 
that's about it. I do agree with what you're saying, where the choreography doesn't seem to be screaming masculine or feminine. I think that these are two lovely movers that have really great flow and strength. I think that they are a good example of possessing elements of masculine and feminine qualities in their movement. And the choreography and I think everything about this film showed that and really expressed that. Did you know that they were a couple or did you look? Okay, I looked so it up on Instagram. You looked it up on Instagram. Yeah, I went to school with Jemima um, back a few years back. Nice. Okay, well, that was going to be my question there where it's like, do you watch it? The Because I didn't know that they were a couple and I thought of it as just two dancers. I didn't think at all that it would be like they were a couple. I didn't think of intimacy at all. Like knowing that they are a couple, Claire, did you watch, do you have a different, I guess, state of mind while watching it? Well, something that strikes me about this particular duet is that there's a real sensitivity of touch between them and a real sense of connection and support that you see just throughout. Like these aren't just, you know, your standard, you know, your two standard bodies performing a duet in space. This is very much informed by the way that they know each other and uh, the way that they've um, developed their relationship. And also, and I mean, I don't, I don't love commenting on like on, on body type, but they're very similar as far as stature goes as well. And I think that there would definitely be a change in dynamic if we were to, present different bodies like even if we're presenting two, you know two women or even like two gender neutral presenting women like of different heights I think that there would be a vastly different uh, read to the film I just want to quickly acknowledge and appreciate that you don't want to be commenting on body type we do live in a culture where it's so normalized to just comment on people's bodies and try and normalize what's what's right what's wrong um what's seen as okay or quote-unquote the a dancer's body so I really appreciate that you were able to get your sentiment across which is true like they they do mirror each other quite well without you know but with that sensitivity so and speaking of relationships the relationship between the dance choreography and the cinematography and the editing in this is also beautiful <laughs> it's also a beautiful connection uh, that's that's really it is a sort of dance that, you know, you're filming a dance, but then the way that you are dancing with the camera and then, as Hannah said a couple episodes ago, dancing with the edit, that actually is part of the choreography. And I think that's something this film does really well. And it's a good example of seeing. So Roy Moody was the cinematographer and the editor. And you can see that there is that connection across the shots that were captured the way the edit moves it feels like you're getting all the best picks there's no shot where you're like oh that's probably all they had for coverage for that one it, it really does move around so freely and makes the film so dynamic totally totally and i think that it's worth noting the um the role the gaze of the camera plays in films like this too and how that communicates issues of of gender and um, objectification. I mean, and this is a film that, you know, is really, you know, very responsive to the dancers and very, you know, respectful of the dancers and of the dance itself. And I think something that's very well worth noting about dance film is that a lot of the key tenets of 
you know, of screen dance were developed and, you know, cultivated by women. So, for instance, Maya Darren and her exploring notions of truth through different uses of the camera and the combination of the camera and the dance and really, you know, de-objectifying the dance in a way and really creating like a full holistic experience of it. So since we are expressing with our bodies, how does sexuality play a role in how we make and how we watch films about gender? And especially with cinema, there is this idea of the gaze and particularly with this film, we're dealing with intimacy, which doesn't have to be sexuality, but in some cases it is or it can feel that way. Hannah, you mentioned that this film, it didn't seem to you like it was like there was that kind of intimacy. Do you think because when I watched this film, I felt like it was definitely like I maybe I just think everything's intimate, (laughs) but I definitely felt like it was I was like really it was respectfully done. So I didn't feel creepy, but I definitely felt like I was watching something very private and for, for parts of it and very sensitive to the two of them in a way. I come from everything looking at it as a blank slate to begin with, with nothing added. And maybe it's just the camera placement or even just like the very, I wouldn't say lack of focus. There is focus, but it's not um, over-exaggerated expression through their faces. Um, You know, with ballet, we have faces. They have performance face. And then with modern dance, you either kind of also have performance face, but then you also have relaxed face. Where this one, it's kind of more kind of like an improvisation where you're just investigating. I know I say that word a lot, but, you know, we're kind of just molding each other together and existing. And I felt that through this work, didn't think once or twice that these two dancers were intimate or close with one another. They're just you know, kind of two little seaweeds in an ocean just moving with one another. And that's when I thought about, like, what if this was, what if this film was, or this film could dance with other dancers and be similar, but yet could also be different. When I think of this film with two men, that's where I think more of expression would occur maybe i have some kind of weird relationship with men of like watching and maybe it was just because of the order of films i was watching where i could have been influenced by the other just commenting on the gaze like what claire was saying with film we're so heavily influenced by body parts and with this film i feel like We did not have those augmented camera angles where we're focusing on, you know, knees, high heels. I mean, obviously, they're they're not wearing shoes at all. But, you know, we don't have those moments where in a traditional movie, let's say Hitchcock, for instance, because we always start from the ground up, the heels up. You know, we see the whole woman. Where this one, we're just kind of seeing the whole woman as a wide shot and we're not focusing on those intimate or prerogative parts of the body which gives us that hypersexualization through the male camera gaze and even though this film was directed 
and shot, edited, you know, by males. And maybe we are a little hypersexualizing the female body at the very end. Again, I'm not a fan of that shot. I think it's totally a throwaway, personally. I think it just added nothing to that. You know, I think when I think of us, I think it's just like two people that could have been two strangers. But we see a very uh, different take of what we're seeing of what men could be creating for a wide audience. It's not romanticized at all. All right. So we are going to um, transition into discussing our last film, which is quite a substantial film. And that is Making Men, which is uh, directed by Antoine Panier and uh, choreographed by Harold George. Yeah. So this film is really based around sort of like an autobiographical monologue um, performed by Harold George. And sort of his memories um, growing up intercut with um, different clips of a group of four men in an African setting. And it's very much centered around this person's reflections upon trying to fit, I guess, you know, as he says, like fit into a hole no matter the shape of the peg in a way. So in Zoolander, the masterpiece by, uh, that Ben Stiller's in, they have this running joke of Hansel's so hot right now, like this very popular figure. This film is so hot right now. This film is in, I've been, has this very striking still that a lot of festivals are using where it's one of the men and he's got these antlers and he's carrying another man. And it's just like, you stop scrolling when you see that. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what's on his head? What? It's, it's clickbait. very striking. It, it is, but it's it really lives up to it when you watch the film, which I was so grateful for. I also feel like uh, sharing that when I watched this, I didn't, my volume was off and I didn't realize. So I was, I thought it was this very bold artistic choice where, wow, the first two minutes are silent, but their movement is so rich. I can hear the music. Just total joke. Anyways, this is a great film and... Something I really like about it is that it is so well done and it is being seen a lot of places. It's getting out there and it's showing new stories. I love that it's from Africa. It's so great to see new audiences finding these films. I do want to add a bit of an addendum that um, Harold George was um, born in Sierra Leone, but he has been based in Belgium for 19 years at this point. So it's, yeah, it's a very interesting um, sort of like cross-cultural look mm-hmm. as well. Definitely. Just talking about gender identity and gender expression in this work. I mean, talking about what you just said, Claire, about a round, you know, a square peg going into a round hole. How do we play with that? And with this, I mean, just the first thing that you hear through the narration is just this quote like I chose to dance because it was like the the most like not masculine thing I could do which I find a very some people could say yeah or most people the average we could say average American would definitely say dance is definitely like 
that's a wussy kind of sport. I mean, and here we are talking about like masculine roles in dance where I feel with this one, we definitely see a spectrum of masculinity and the expression. And I think that's something that we don't see very often where there's a spectrum or a, a evolution, a change of male expression. And I think what this story is saying uh, is very strong in its unfolding events. Definitely. And by having these binary categories, you by default end up defining them in binary terms. So when we think masculine or even even when you're learning choreography and teachers might say, play this masculine, play this, play this feminine, play it aloof, play it earnest, like you can bring different energy to your movement. And this film really does show beautiful scenes of men dancing together, them flowing together, lifting each other, soaring and rolling and really dancing in a dynamic way. They're not being this cookie cutter trope of, you know, you hear the title making men and you wonder what kind of movement you're going to see. And I do love that this is shows a variety from these dancers and what a what a great group they are together. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And there's yeah, a sense of vulnerability and almost like a, a huge sense of release, like lots of u- uses of release throughout the choreography of the film, um, which, I mean, if you pair that with the incredible setting that it's in, is spectacular. And just this whole notion of holding and being held without any kind of sort of societal notion attached to that. Like even the cover the premiere image of, you know, someone in the horns holding, you know, someone in a very tender manner and the the other person is really giving their weight to them. Like that's something that's, I mean, I hesitate saying that's like a tenderness that you wouldn't necessarily associate with masculinity, but it is something that almost the construction or the creation of masculinity over time can sometimes eliminate from someone. Looking at that image without any context from the film, what I, the, the instant story that my brain puts together is that in the process of becoming a man, a woman, an adult, a person, anything that you are becoming in the process of becoming something else dies or something else is left behind. And even just the, the poetic image of carrying this limp male and then having this this larger male figure with the with the antlers is really striking. And I think this film does play with poetry very well. And even from a technical standpoint, this embodied camera that we see, the fact that especially at the beginning, this is literally why I thought there was no sound for the first two minutes, because it's so detailed. There's so much information. The camera's really breathing or swaying with the dancers beautifully tightly framed and then yes opening up to show those beautiful settings and then the sleek apartment uh that honestly made me want to clean up my own house right away but it is such a lovely example of camera choreography as well i feel like this work has i mean obviously it has a lot of symbolism i mean playing back from just the i don't know there's two different i don't want to say two different narratives but there's we would say maybe the screen dance is the fiction or like the story that we would be reading in a little picture book. 
And then we have the narrator bringing us back to the reality and bringing us to the symbolism that we recognize. I mean, that moment where just saying about the masked figure, I mean, automatically we also have the shower moment where it's like this kind of rebirth, you know, like one is one part of self is kind of like push put away it's a chapter you know and then we have the rebirth through the shower and then there's this moment of transformation where we have the two men in the forest observing one another which I mean I think everyone when we develop relationships definitely go through we're maybe not looking at each other like like animal qualities i mean there's definitely an animalistic quality throughout this whole work but yet there's also this celebration of just who you are as a person which is what we see at the very end i mean we're starting with very low and grounded movement tribal-esque mus- movement getting to the rebirth it it starts lifting off the ground And something that's interesting about this film and something that we don't necessarily we haven't necessarily seen in the film so far is that the entire cast of the film is is a male cast and the main the core four group of dancers. Like, how how does that shift the way that you see gender in the film and how um, how do you see that progression through the film as a result? Well, it's like looking. okay, looking back at us. I mean, when I think about the male body through that film which again this doesn't exist this is a, like a theory like i think it would be like making men where there's a lot more emotion involved because the body is so i don't want to just say detailed but there's more to look at in ways because when we commonly watch male dancers at times they are shirtless which definitely gives them a sexualization to them and I don't want to say that making men was sexualized, but like in the gender type role, being shirtless is definitely showing your gender and it's also showing your masculinity and strength. So again, starting with the tribal and then we don't see them with shirts at the end or anything, but it's definitely a celebration of how they're holding themselves differently. It's not as muscular. It's more, you know, lifting. I do want to comment on sort of this notion of, you know, the group of men or the idea of, or the way that we can typically see groups of men in dance. I'm actually stealing this from a very dear dancer friend of mine who created a work with one of his creative partners that has a cast of six men. And he remarked, Well, first of all, you remarked on the costuming choices that usually, how do we costume men? Blue collar jumpsuits, business suits, loose fitting pajamas, maybe no shirt at all. And why are these the go-to costumes for men? And what does that say about the way that we see men? Why are men's bodies still such a mystery? And why is our usual presentations of men in dance always based on conformity? And I mean, that's something I see in, in this film as well, is that we see you know, this notion of, I mean, a notion of a sense of a group and a notion of a sense of a, I don't want to say group think, but a group sort of like a similarity within the group. That just sparked a memory for me of Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake as well, where they have 
an all-male cast of swans, but they're shirtless. And to me, that feels so different than seeing a corps de ballet of women in tutus and tights. And the idea was to be more raw and visceral and also, I guess, to show their gender. But I remember just commenting to my husband when we went to the show that it doesn't feel like... Often when we try and flip gender to try and see how would this hold up or how would this be different, it almost just exposes the tropes that exist or exposes that, okay, I guess you can't fully, even when you try and swap it perfectly, it end, everything shifts with it. It's never just a perfect swap of values. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In the same, um, I mean, again, I'm reading from this one essay, but in the same essay, the stancer remarks that, you know, if we have a piece with all men, does shifting it to does the message change if it's all women? Do we um, free it from a patriarchal lens at all? Yeah, it's like, can we have a female James Bond? I don't know. It's sad to say, and I hope that we can move forward from this is just like breaking down or just kind of rethinking just body types in general or even just like the the persona of the body. I mean, I would love to see more male works that are in a vulnerable state, I could say. I mean, we are always just kind of thinking of strong and tough and I don't know, fearless, but we don't see that side. I mean, it's only been like, what, 10 years that we're starting to see like these kind of new archetypes on all screens it's outside of dance, but like also like in film and television. I mean, it's rare to see that kind of stuff nowadays. And I'm glad that there are directors and writers and producers and streamers that are being open to celebrate that style or just that mode or just existing, you know? It's partially due to there being an audience and being a known audience and due to availability and I guess sort of a safety and numbers thing as well because the, as soon as you have the the internet or you have social media where people are able to it was a big shift. All of a sudden, there weren't these few gatekeepers to the media. The media wasn't this distant thing. Everyone became a, con a consumer and a producer. So in that, you can't perpetuate the same lies. You can't say that this kind of person doesn't exist or this kind of thing doesn't exist or people like this, but they don't like that because people can actually go click the like button. They can subscribe. They can pay to engage in things, they can find things. Algorithms can make it more or less difficult, but nevertheless, audiences have more of that direct connection with the content. And I think that people are able to find each other and create more exciting work that actually addresses more, I don't want to say more issues, but make more work that addresses more facets of the human experience because of that. Yeah. And again, at that circles back around to the issue of representation that, you know, if you want more voices to be seen or more greater variety of voices to be seen, then like you really have to you know, put something up there that opens the floodgates that shows like, hey, you know, this is something that connects to my experience. Maybe I can share my take on this, too. 
So I feel like today we found three main films to focus on, but there's so many honorable mentions we have. I feel like we should just quickly shout them out. Just list some of our honorable mentions because it, it's always such a challenge to almost curate each episode and decide how do we how do we balance out what we might want to talk about through the lens of these different films. So there's always for every three films we talk about, there's like 15 that we didn't get to talk about that we also love or that we also think explore interesting things. So one of my honorable mentions is Cold Storage by Thomas Freudlich because this film screened all over the place. It showed two men, basically it was like an ice man, like a man that was frozen under the ground, like a caveman, and then a modern day man that was just out fishing and they end up like drinking beer and dancing together and kind of horsing around. I sound like an old parent right now, but it's it's a great example of a dance film that uses this typical, like, it almost looks like it could have been a beer commercial, like this male imagery, but it's a dance film. So that was one that we didn't talk about today, but honorable mention. What about you two? What are some of your honorable mentions from, from today's topic? Oh, one honorable mention that I actually, um, I did not list this in our notes. Um, one honorable mention I had, which um, I actually just thought of, uh, was uh, the movie Gotha. I don't know if either of you have seen that one. Mm-mm. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, is it I, on Amazon Prime, Claire? It is not on Amazon Prime. <laughs> I don't know where it is right now. Okay. But it's um, it features two... Um, two male monks who are going through, who are essentially going on this um, journey through, um, through a very, a very treacherous mountainous journey. And it sort of explores the relationship between them and the movement between them as well. Another one of my honorable mentions is the yellow room directed and choreographed by Kitty McNamee. She's based in Los Angeles. And this film has, it's it. And this seems to be a theme with a lot of these films is in order to show masculine and feminine is we show two dancers um, but this film is just so beautifully shot, very minimal lighting, a lot of negative space in the frame, warm yellow tones. I just love it. So check out The Yellow Room as well. That was one of my honorable mentions. One film from our master plan that we were trying to figure out to skim through was Multi-Dentity, which I thought was kind of funny. And... Um, this one is playing more with the solo body, which you don't really see with these kind of gender identity films. And I mean, I would love to see more, uh, more dance films that feature solo in solo works that explore this genre. I'm going to say this is like a subgenre of the mode of dance film. And I think it's just a little bit more complex where in this case, it was just focusing on the clothes, which I, I, this is where I'm going to be the, like devil's advocate. I don't think that clothes did it work as a gender definition, I could say, because maybe it's just that we're in this time where there's a lot of cross-dressing going on and that's just what fashion is. I myself dress very... Uh, gender neutral with a feminine touch, but I I thought it was very fun and playful. And I think it was just kind of like the start of something that could be bigger. So I would definitely look that up on YouTube if you have the chance. And hey, 
like I said, there are so many films that explore not just our main topic today, but other topics we're going to discuss throughout the season. Please feel free to email us at frameformpodcast at gmail.com if you have suggestions for films or topics that you want us to discuss. Part of our goal with this is, you know, to nerd out and talk about films that we love or that challenge us or inspire us, but also to bring this into a bigger conversation and expand our perspectives as well. And those those are the listeners. So today was just a sampling, um, plus those bonus mentions. But in closing, I think we did talk about, we just scratched the surface of how gender is expressed through dance. We talked about a few traditions in dance in particularly with ballet, how gender is a part of how we understand or how we learn dance. But on the plus side, there are so many amazing works being created that explore this and are finding new ways to not just take for granted the way things have always been done, but forge new ways that we can see the world and remake dance as we go forward. You know, the first thought I had when we were going to discuss this topic is going to be the last main thing I share on this episode as well, which is a quote from RuPaul I really love, which is, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. So with that said, gender and masculinity, femininity, fluidity is all in the eye of the beholder. And whoever you are that's listening, we see you, we appreciate you. We want to share these films with you. And please, if you have any other films that are on this topic or any other ones we're discussing this season or have new topics, please feel free to send them our way so we can also include you in the conversation. Here are some events that might be of interest to you this week. The 11th edition of the San Francisco Dance Film Festival launches online this Sunday, October 18th. The festival is teaming up with Marquee.tv, to present 12 programs of feature-length films and curated shorts from around the world. Films featured at the festival that we have discussed on the show include Uprooted, Making Men, Tom, and more. Visit sfdancefilmfest.org to learn more. Synodons Fest in Amsterdam has a deadline coming up on October 15th. This fantastic festival will take place in March 2021 at the iFilm Museum, which is a fantastic museum if you haven't been before. Films submitted outside of competition are free for entry. The links for all the aforementioned events are in the show notes. All right, and now it's time for Pick of the Week. We do this every week, and it's always something different, and we make these picks just because we like them. This week. I feel like we need to have a jingle for pick of the week. <laughs> Maybe we will. I want choreography and music, even if no one sees it. Pick of the week. Well, Jen, this week, it's your pick of the week. What did you choose? My pick of the week is a remix. So you may remember from a few episodes ago that one of my favorite pastimes is mixing and matching audio and video. And I think this is a common trait amongst editors, including this, I think, unknown editor named Martin Geller. So if you think you've seen Rite of Spring danced every possible way, I've got good news for you. 
Also, if you're a fan of Stravinsky and or Teletubbies, you'll enjoy this. Sounds random, and it is. Uh, I'd like to thank Becky Farrell for sharing this on Facebook, by the way, and Classic FM for finding this and writing the very compelling headline, A maniac has synced the Teletubbies with Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, and I'm scared. So, that said, if you'd like to see this nightmare fodder, the link is in the show notes. And that's our show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening, taking time out of your day just to hear the three of us banter about things that you like, things that we like. Thank you. If you want to follow us on social, look us up on Instagram, Frameform Pod. That's Frameform P O D. And like we've said many times in this episode, we want to hear from you. So please email us at frameformpodcast at gmail.com. We will respond to you. We could become pen pals. And hey, if you feel like leaving a five-star review and writing us a love letter in the comments, feel free. That would be much appreciated. Jen, Claire, it's been a great day. And I'll see you next week. Looking forward to it. See you on the next one. Bye. Frameform is a production of Rixie, hosted by me, Hannah Weber, Claire Schweitzer, and Jen Ray. Edited and mixed by myself and Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.